All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite city. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel DeBona. And I'm David Uyoa. And I just realized, even though you and I were talking for like five minutes before this podcast started airing live, which if you're not watching live and you're only listening, come watch us live. That way you can interact with us. Like uh, like Mr. Frank Kowalski, who's already on and uh, and commenting. Hi, Frank. How you doing? Good to see you, man. Always. Uh, we are yin and yang today. Oh, we sure are. Yeah, Look we've got that. baseball tees. And, you know, I've got my uh, my shiver right here. You can see it. My shiver baseball tee, which you can get at Tee Public. And um, and it's it's got, you know, black sleeves and, you know, white torso. And you're my, my, Dan- and black my, torso. my Danny flag. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a smash the alt-right, not to get too political, but uh, it is it is, a, it is a smashing a swastika there. And uh, yeah, uh, listen, it's not political. Sleeve. It's 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 just logical. <laughs> yeah, that's just logical. Exactly. <laughs> Indiana Jones was in a political movie, and he punched Nazis all the goddamn time. Yes, because it, <laughs> violence is only ever okay if it's punching Nazis. Exactly. Um, well, not only. Well, let's not get into that. Um, Fuck Putin. Okay, so um, <laughs> we are here today to to do something that has been a long time coming since the Shiver reboot, since Shiver yes. season two, and uh, and that is to discuss a zombie movie. I don't know how this happened. I feel very badly about it. It was one of those things, you know, we, we, we just started talking about stuff and like, uh, it was when we were discussing like potential artwork for, um, maybe some new merch, which if like mm-hmm. you said, you can head to T public and, and find our merch. But, uh, and we started talking about maybe doing something up that says zombies doing a podcast. And we we're like, we've never done a zombie movie. And we realized, so we immediately like, we're looking at the calendar for this month, trying to find the best place to fit it in. And here we are. Yeah. And I think uh, we kind of decided we were going to go with something classic right Right. so so it was clearly going to be george romero i mean the guy redefined what zombies were with his 1968 classic night of the living dead uh i mean prior to that a zombie in in movies was someone who was uh being controlled by someone else very similar to like a voodoo zombie right um so this was like the the flesh eater, the ghoul, right? Very different. And we bounced some ideas back and forth whether we were going to go with night, dawn, day. And we went with day. And I think that that is really the the right place to go because night is the the classic. Dawn is probably the one that is most discussed 
I right. think. Right. Which leaves Day as not necessarily a redheaded stepchild because there are others in the series. Land is a continuation. Yes. Um, and and a and a really good one at that. And from what I understand, uh, land is actually what Romero wanted to make when he set out to make day and budget constraints. They were like, yeah, no. And they, they <laughs> kind of reworked it into day. And then when, once they, once there was more, you know, pull to the name George A. Romero and more money in movies, then they made land of the dead. But that was kind of originally what he wanted to do with this, like this big sweeping thing. Yeah, he he often referred to his original Day of the Dead script as Gone with the Wind, but <laughs> zombies. And I'm like, fuck, I'm here for that, man. Uh, and and he, there was actually an unfinished novel that he was working on uh, at the time of his death. And uh, and it's it has since been finished and published. And 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 that kind of has the scope, I think, of what he was going for in day of the dead as it stands however day of the dead serves as a really interesting final chapter to a trilogy i don't know that he had any intention of making a uh, a fourth entry in the series right uh, much much less rebooting it the way he did with diary of the dead and then following that up with survival of the dead um but it also is a really solid standalone piece. And so I guess the right out the gate, as we discuss what I think is probably the least discussed in the original trilogy, how does this succeed or fail on either front as the final chapter in a trilogy, looking at it as part of the, quadrilogy that would become you know the original four films right and 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 on its own so when i sat down to watch this movie i kind of i was i sat down and i was trying to remember i knew i i'd seen this before but it had been a while so i was trying to kind of backtrack and think about who i was watching with where i was living kind of landed on it's been about 16 or 17 years since I've uh, seen quite a bit uh, of time. Yeah. Since I'd seen this and I'm going to be just kind of a hundred percent straight up honest with you. When I, when we decided on this one, there was part of me that was really excited because I knew it had been a while, but there was part of me that was, I've, I've been, I was really kind of frightful of how this episode was going to go because I know what a special place this movie has in your heart. And I remembered, mm -hmm. I remembered thinking that it just, it didn't come anywhere close to touching Dawn. So I, uh, but I, you know, so I kind of flushed all that from my brain and I was like, I'm going to go with this with fresh eyes. I'm, I'm, you know, a much different person now. And this movie, I think very, very much benefits from the multiple watch and from the time to let it settle in. Uh, once th this movie there, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of weird things here that on, then on a first watch, you're just it, are are jarring and can mm -hmm. can kind of, and and I'm not even just talking about the gore. I'm not talking about some other things we're right. going to get to. <laughs> some things about this movie that are just very jarring and can take you out of the experience on your first watch. But as you get back into it, and you are and now being more familiar with the genre and with what what different uh, you know producers, directors, filmmakers set out to do. This movie, man, it it found a really special place for me in here, dude. Like it it ended up, I was 
I could not believe it was. I mean, it was. It wasn't a full one hundred and eighty because I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I never. I wouldn't say I ever disliked it. But man, I was surprised at how well this worked because I was no longer expecting it to be a continuation of Dawn of the Dead, which is always that trap that a sequel falls into. You know, whether or not it's. I mean, it's obviously a direct sequel, but it's a. It's a different movie. And you always fall into that. It definitely moment. doesn't tread the same waters right. um, thematically. And so it, it, yeah. you always tread those waters where you're you're looking for pieces of the movie before it. And on first watch, it's real easy to not see the pieces of Dawn of the Dead that are in this. I feel like I picked up on a couple more this time. Um, but, There's definitely some connective tissue there. Yeah. Um, so as, as kind of it, if we look at it as an end cap to the trilogy, I think that it works really, really well in scope because we gradually saw more and more of the world becoming zombified. Mm -hmm. And so it, it works real well on that aspect. It, it does a good job of kind of bookending if, if that were to be the end of the mm -hmm. trilogy, because, you know, it does, I, I, possibly have a happy ending I, i've got some i've got some right. ideas yeah but it possibly has a happy ending so you know you you get somewhere with that it i think it honestly i think it serves best as a standalone film though uh, i think that if you just kind of look at this as okay it's a george romero film i know what i'm in for but you don't think about it being just the continuation of De of night and dawn you're just like all right i'm just in this for this movie i think that that's where that's that's where the beef of this movie is to be found is if you're just looking at it for just this movie i think that that's where it stands the strongest i agree and i think that each entry into this franchise is kind of the same way where even though there is an evolution of the zombie, uh, which you can track, and and it's it's actually a really great evolution of the zombie. Yes, uh, going from this like mindless killing machine in that first movie to something that has a an idea of its past life. Yes, in Dawn of the Dead. Uh, you know, there's this conversation that happens. Why do they keep coming back to the mall? And it's because consumerism was such a big part of their life that they feel the need to go back there, even though they don't understand why. Right. It's like it, it, it's it's like a primal urge, like feeding at that. Right. Point. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of like how animals are born with, you know, uh, internal compasses and they just know how to get around in the forest. Right. So um, day of the dead kind of takes that idea of there is something encoded in our minds, you know, the things that were important to us in life carry over into death. Uh, and, and it amps that up even more because we see that with Bub. Bub. We see, we, we see that his, his life, although he's dead still persists right his um his military background is there um that he knows how to shave that he knows how to use a phone that he 
reacts to music. I mean, these it, it, it seems, which is kind of like the thing where, yes, it works best on its own. But when you start looking at the, the big arc, right. like, that makes a lot more sense. If you watch this movie by itself, you might think it's a little ridiculous. Yes. And then if you haven't seen any of the previous movies and you just jump to Land of the Dead, where you have a zombie like Big Daddy, who who like <laughs> works organizes, at the gas station. <laughs> yeah, he works at the gas station. Like we, we see him, you know, trying to put gas into the cars, you know, because it's just against Dawn of the Dead, you know, just kind of doing the routine that you mm-hmm. were doing. But we also see him able to organize zombies and like basically unionize <laughs> the zombies, yes. right? And 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 fight against the the one percenters. Um, that is, uh, you know, talking about smashing the all right. Oh, God, um, so th- that's that's an extension of what we already saw in Day of the Dead. So it's it's this incredible evolution of the zombie that we have going on here. Each movie has its own tone, yes. and each movie has its own commentary on what is going on um, societally, politically, economically at that time. And what's really interesting to me is that a lot of what this is commenting on that's going on in the mid eighties with that ultra conservative movement that was going on with, with Reagan and the white house, we see a lot of that still going on today. Right. And, and the movie is maybe even more important today than it was in 1985 when it was released. And I do think that's one of the biggest things that made when, you know, what seeing this movie at the end, like I said, I was like 1920, I think maybe 21. And so seeing this movie then, you know, p- politically your brain for the most, I don't know, 21 year olds. Now they seem to know a lot more than I did when I was 21, <laughs> but like my 21 year old brain, the, there was, there was no concept. I was, I was a nihilist at 21. Like tomorrow yeah. didn't exist. I didn't care about the government. And so, yeah, now it's like, in my late 30s and having just lived through the Trump presidency and and seeing how tribal things have gotten like now I watch that play out in this movie and like I said there are some things that are jarring right it's like god there's some serious overacting going on here but like it but it works and it and it makes sense we'll we'll get we'll get to the acting because we are going to talk about characters and this is something that I agreed with Neri when we initially spoke about this movie, um, when George Romero died, we, uh, if you want to go back a couple years, I'm not sure what the episode number is, but we do talk about day of the dead. And, um, Neri was very critical specifically about Joe Pilato as captain Rhodes. And as the years have passed, and I've seen this movie more and more. At that point, I had only seen Day of the Dead maybe twice. Now I've seen this movie. I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen it. Uh, because there was something about it that kept bringing me back to it. And I think that in such a high-stress situation that these people find themselves in, the fact that no one actually was murdered by another person until logan dies is actually i think kind of amazing so that so that everyone is at 11 i see that yes exactly think think of what thanksgiving dinners have been like in the last six years yep 
where everyone is shouting at each other because that guy's a Democrat and that guy's a Republican and they can't be in the same room together anymore. Mm -hmm. and, and, and everything goes back to this idea that you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Yeah. And, and like you said, when we get to the social commentary and stuff like that is definitely where this movie stuck a little bit, uh, a little bit harder for me this time around. Yeah. So, all right. So I'm, you know, so like we said, it's, the end of well, the end of a trilogy, kind of originally. Um, I also saw that uh, apparently this was part of a deal that he signed, where he had to do movies, and one of them had to be a sequel to Dawn of the Dead. Like this movie came out of the deal that also brought us Night Riders and Creep Show. Uh, so that, that it is, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. But so when we're looking at this, well, what we get out of this story is this really claustrophobic you know very 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 Romero there we get this claustrophobic idea but we get it a different way we get it down in a cave and we we get more elements to the story as things keep evolving so we've got the us versus them storyline we've got the you know everything's always gonna kind of find a way to keep going just when you look at this story for this movie and comparing it to the first two, like, how do you feel about it? Um, before I get to that, I do want to um, mention here uh, Kowalski's uh, comment. He says Romero wanted the movie to stay unrated. And because of that, uh, they had the budget drop from seven million to three and a half million. Um, I have read that before. Mm -hmm. And and that that is the reason why we don't have the gone with the wind zombies. And um, <laughs> and we have Bub. Instead. And we've got Bub, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think it's better for it, to be honest. Um, yeah, the each of these movies is claustrophobic in their own way, which is right. um, which is really interesting. And I'm not sure if Romero is trying to say something with that because he's the type of guy who admits to never putting as much thought into writing his movies as people think he does. Um, <laughs> I love that. I yeah. like there's, there's, there's an amazing sense of self that comes with being like, man, that is so awesome that you got that. Not at all what I intended, but I fucking love it. Yeah. And I kind of wish that I had been thinking along those lines. <laughs> like there, there's, there's yeah. a great self-awareness to that, to be able to admit that instead of just being like, Oh yeah, totally what I meant. There's, uh, I think it was in this one documentary because I've seen a couple George Romero documentaries, uh, but I think it's in one called Document of the Dead that uh, he talks about how there's this one particular um, critic who always finds the most interesting things to say about his movies and that his critical analysis of these movies is uh, they're amazing. And he's picking out things that he never considered when he was writing them. And that makes him wonder if somewhere like in his subconscious that was going on. Right. So um, Romero often will tell you that, like, for example, Night of the Living Dead it really doesn't have anything to do with racism. Yet that's that's what just about everyone picks up on. Right. You know, so um, so this this story it's it's very difficult to to watch this movie and not immediately pick up on the like ultra conservatism and the 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 broadening of the military that's going on 
in America at that time in the 1980s. Uh, we're coming off of an, an era of, of liberalism with uh, with President Carter in office and President Reagan is you know swinging the pendulum to the other direction. And so we have this story that is basically, you know, imagine if the military was in charge. Right. And, and, and I think that that's a great setup because it's entirely different from what we see in Night of the Living Dead, which is um, no one's in charge. Correct. Right. Uh, and Dawn of the Dead, which is where we're in charge. Yes. And that great struggle for power between the scientists and, and, the, and the soldiers is really what's at the heart of this movie. There's so much that's going on here. And for a movie that's under two hours long uh, or just about two hours long, I mean, there's an awful lot in here. And he dives deep into everything. How he manages to really explore so much story in such a, um, a small amount of time is incredible because he really does explore side stories, personal stories, all within the bigger story. Um, we do get, uh, for uh, us Floridians, uh, Fort Myers, Florida, <laughs> is where where the, the, the opening scene takes place. Right. Uh, you know, the very famous, you know, the dead walk here, you know, um, newspaper. Fucking zombie alligator. Up. You know, zombie alligator, <laughs> uh, one one of the greatest zombies of all time, uh, Doctor Tongue. Doctor Tongue, out. yes, yeah, so so fantastic. My son was around as I was putting this movie on, and he he goes, "Is that man's lower jaw missing?" <laughs> and did his tongue just flop out of his mouth? I said, yeah, it did. He was like, oh, okay, cool. Uh-huh. Um, you know, yeah, he's got a weird sense of. <laughs> He's your son of humor. Yeah, he's my son after all. So um, there's there, I think, is a really interesting story here where uh, you mentioned uh, us versus them, but it is kind of an us versus them versus them. Because it's it's, uh, you know, who are you in this scenario? You get to decide because zombies, military and scientists get almost equal share of this story. And every one of them has pros and cons right the very first time that i saw this movie i saw the military as the bad guys and let's not make any you know mistake here i still see them as the bad guy right however even more than the zombies however there's there's a scene where Rhodes did kind of get to me where he's talking about how you know they don't have enough equipment. They don't have enough time. They're running out of bullets. His men are the ones that are dying. What is he supposed to do? Right. He's he's a man like on the edge of his fucking rope. Like he's got no idea how to handle this situation. And he's just trying to keep his men alive. It's it's a it's actually a pretty good leadership position to say, like, we're fucking done. Right. We're yeah. packing up. We're packing up and we're leaving. We don't need to protect you anymore. Like there's no yeah. government. There's no support. This is not what we signed up for. We're getting out of here. Yeah. If we, I if, mean, if, if we could have done that in Nam, how many lives would we have saved? You know, so I, it, I understand him being at 11 
when when he's shouting at the top of his lungs, you know, I'm the one giving orders around here. You know, there's overacting, maybe. Right. But is it severely overacting? I, I don't know. And it's because the situation is so tense. It's more tense than Dawn of the Dead. It's more tense than Land of the Dead. The only one that comes close is Night of the Living Dead because of how how claustrophobic this is. And I think this is even more claustrophobic than Night of the Living Dead because there is no sunlight. There's right. no outside. There's no nothing. It's it's rock walls from pretty much like 10 minutes in until the one scene that we see Miguel go back up. Right. And and that is terrifying that we don't even control the surface anymore, that we have to live underground. And are we even really living? There's a great line in this movie. And I think that this movie has uh, the best lines. It's the, the best written dialogue, um, you know, narrative, you name it. This is the best written of all his scripts. And uh, it's it's just after the the fight that they had in the mess hall, you know. Uh, yes, sir. Fuck you, sir. You know. I love that <laughs> yeah. um, John John turns to Sarah and he says, "That's the trouble with the world. Uh, people have different ideas about what they should do with life." And that is at the very heart of what this movie is, because even though it's a um, it's it's scathing commentary on the alt right. It's scathing commentary on this like neo conservatism. It's also saying we're not sitting down and talking. Right. We're not trying to understand the other side. Sarah is so convinced that her research is the only thing that matters. That she's not taking into consideration the lives of the military that are allowing her to do this research. Yeah, I, there's 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 a lot there's there's so much to the story. And it's funny because, you know, we talk about it being claustrophobic, but and it is, but it's claustrophobic at a scope and a scale that's weird to consider claustrophobic. Right. Like mm -hmm. some of the scenes that I felt the most uncomfortable in were those mess hall scenes. And that is arguably the biggest area, the yep. biggest set in the movie. But it's so well, everything is so well positioned that you're made to feel so tiny. Like the 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 thank you, sir, fuck you, sir scene. Like that camera doesn't move. We just watch them walk off to like this pinpoint of a door. Yeah. And you you feel so tiny that even though you're in this huge space, it feels claustrophobic. You're constantly reminded of how much space there is within these caves, but knowing that there's no escape from them. Mm -hmm. is is terrifying um speaking of terrifying i have uh, i have seen the original uh, i've seen the original trilogy and i've seen land of the dead so let's call that a quadrilogy right i've seen all four mm -hmm. of those there is only one time in the history of uh, i i honestly think there's only one moment in the four of those movies that i ever thought i almost shit my pants and it was this one at the very beginning, when those arms shoot out of the wall, when she's oh, looking yes. at the calendar. What a that great is, jump scare. That is hands down the best jump scare in 
all Romero movies. That thing blows yeah. me away. So, and and now, like I said, 16, however many years removed from it, completely fucking forgot, and it got me again. <laughs> so just speaking of terrifying, that that for jump scare-wise probably is it's just the, the most insane thing. But when I look at the story of this movie, I love that... There's okay, so there's this idea prevented by uh, presented by Dr. Frankenstein that at the at the core of the brain, right? That's where that's the last thing to decay, and so that is where that is where the basics of what make what made these zombies human exist, and that's what's going to take the longest to go away. And so they're living where that's all that they have. What's amazing about this story is what we get is this idea of these people that are still alive accessing that part of their brain and it becoming the only thing they have to hang on to. Mm. We've got these military guys who, I mean, they seem to have decent amounts of rank. They know what they're doing to an extent. So they they must not have been awful at being in the military. I don't know. Maybe Rickles and Steel were always like that. (laughs) <laughs> but so but so the fucking happening costello of this movie <laughs> it's so great so, like they're they're another one that i'm all oh, throwbacks have dude, big oh dicks my God. when we when we get to characters but goddamn, like they were ones i couldn't stand the first time around and this time i was like yes more oh, they're so steel, good please. so good but so but so everybody kind of and so we've got dr frankenstein and and at the at the core of him is this idea that that everything in the brain is science everything in the brain. And so if the brain is firing, then the science must work the same. And so there is a way to train. Uh, he, he Condition and control are, are the words that he keeps using. Because to him, at his, at his core, he understands the human brain. And if the brain is firing, like it, he turns General Cooper into literally just a brain attached to a body, like completely removes every, face, everything. But is showing that the brain still works and if the brain is firing then then there's then there's something there and so we get these scientists who want to boil it down to that and then we get these military guys who want to boil it down to like we're in control rank and file order saves the day and so that's how they view everything that is their one lens and then you get the two guys, um, the, the 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 Irish guy and the Jamaican guy, right? It's like, hey, they've got the accents. They're the yeah. they're the, the offshoot, <laughs> and uh, and they're the guys who are like, yeah, we don't we don't fucking care. Like we're they, here. To they do, have they have their paradise job. And I I got I got this. I got my spot in the bunker that looks like a bungalow. I got the, a flask. The, the Ritz, always, right? They call it yeah, the Ritz. The Ritz yeah, <laughs> I've got you know, and uh, the other guys. I got a flask. It's always full of whiskey. Like this, we're good. Like Jesus, we're getting Mary by. And Joseph. Yes. You know, just, just survival. That's what was at the core of them was like, uh, you know, make life worth living. If the only thing worth living is to drink every day or to have your little piece of paradise in the bunker, then, then that, you've then got something, right. Then you've got something. Yeah. And so all of these people were boiled down into a very two dimensional persona and what that gave us was a very three-dimensional character that we were then allowed to watch and break down and, and kind of pull apart. And the story evolved around how they did or didn't evolve. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's amazing is what we talked about at the top, and it's that constant evolution of what is a zombie. Mm-hmm. And when we get Bub, man, 
you get this idea of a zombie that can be not just conditioned and controlled, but that, that has memories. And that's what ends up leading to the most fascinating elements of this story is this idea that maybe everybody's a little bit right. You know, like the, yeah. the, 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 the army, they've, they've got some ideas and yeah, order, order can, order can save the day and it has its place, but also the science of the fact that if the brain is firing, then, then it works. That's what we see happening. And so you watch these bits of kind of grandiose ideas play out over the course of an hour and 40 minutes in this story. It's easy to look at a storyboard for this movie and say that nothing happens in the story. But when you actually kind of rip apart all the scenes, you see so much growth out of these characters that are presented as two-dimensional, which is bizarre, but the story forces that on you in a way that I don't think many people are going to pick up on, on their first watch. And I, that, that's what got me this time was the fact that there was a story there. I I remember thinking as it kind of went on, I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Like nothing happens there. There's no story, but there is. And there's the story of how all living things keep changing for better, for worse you know, dead or dead or undead. Cause what does he say at one point? He's like, uh, he's like, uh, I promise, I promise that he's still alive or, well, I guess I, you know, I get, I promise that he still exists. Right. Yeah. Is what he says, because they're not dead, you know? So we use that word undead. They're, they're, they're not alive, but they exist. He says they're, they're us. They they're are us. us. Yeah. And so, because it's, there's so much, in that one part where Dr. Frankenstein is explaining the brain that completely fell by the wayside for me the first time I watched this movie. And that, that part of the movie is this amazing summation of like, here's what you're in for, for the next hour and a half. And and that's what I took out of the story this time was it was like all those things that just kind of seemed silly. They're all on purpose and they Mm -hmm. all tell this amazing story of what people can become when society breaks down and does it in an hour and 40 minutes to an extent, as well as it took the walking dead six, seven seasons to do. I agree. 100%. (laughs) And that, that, that has always been my biggest point of contention with the walking dead is that if George Romero in pick a fucking movie, Right. Can say as much, nay, more than one show can over the course of how many fucking seasons. And he can do it in an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes, always under two hours. All right. Um, What the fuck does that say? That what that says is that he's got a lot to say. Yep. He's he's got a voice. And the, the beautiful thing is that. Um, it's never he- heavy handed. It's always subtle. The more you watch his movies, the more you fall in love with them. And and the more you realize that um, this isn't um, this isn't simple. Uh, this is the thinking man's zombie movie. Yes. Um, like you and I have talked about this before. We absolutely love Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, it's it is it is a a great example of an 80s horror movie. It is 
funny. It is gory. It's everything you want, but it is simple. Yeah. <laughs> there's not, there's not an awful lot to it. Um, this is totally different. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's character driven story. He allows himself to speak and allows in fact, all of the world to speak because everyone is represented here through these characters. Everyone can watch this movie and find one character that they feel reflected in. And, and that that's an incredible thing where you can see yourself reflected in a movie and there's going to be a redeeming quality there. It may not supersede the negative qualities, but there's going to be something there where you're like, okay, I can see some of the good that's in this person. You know, even uh, someone like Steel. Yeah. Like Steel, Steel's an asshole and Steel's a jokester. But when he was told to shoot Sarah, what did he do? He played it off as a joke. Right? Yeah. He's like, bang, you're dead. You know, and, and it wasn't until his life was threatened that he was like, okay, okay. Hang. And then you saw his entire demeanor change. He's like, I don't want to do this. He, he was almost pleading with her, right? Yeah. So, uh, so we have, whether it be the soldiers, the scientists, the zombies, right? Uh, we have these incredibly well-defined characters like you, were, like you were just discussing. Are there any standout performances, standout interactions, standout relationships, anything that you feel like, damn, I need to comment on that? So – I, I started to talk about it a little bit when we were doing story. I, I, one of the biggest takeaways for me this time around was how important Rickles and Steele were to this movie. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you even referred to them as the, the Abbott and Costello of this movie. And that, that's absolutely yeah. what they're presented <laughs> as. But you, you, what you get out of Rickles and Steele are these, like these, these, frat boy military stereotypes boiled down to just a bunch of dick and fart jokes right like they mm -hmm. they it, it takes this idea of the the brainless infantryman and 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 boils it down to so in your face that you realize how comical that is like like how just absolutely outrageous it is that this is like this is the deepest level of some people. Mm -hmm. And so the, the first time around, I, I hated them. I was like, they're so stupid. And their voices, <laughs> their, their voices are so annoying. And it's just, it's so much all the time. But that was before I knew to look at Romero movies through the lens that I look at through them now. And what I get out of them is this idea that, yeah, they're a joke, but, it's also that it is a joke that you might have somebody that this is the essence of their mm -hmm. personality, that this is everything that they boil down to. They were scene stealers and not in the yeah. bad way that I remembered them being scene stealers. They were scene stealers in the fact that they were the, they were the soldiers who were along for the ride, even though they didn't take very much of it seriously, but it's, they were so, brainwashed in that way that it was like, oh, we don't, yeah, whatever. We don't take this seriously, but this is what we were told to do. This is how we do it. Right. And so you start to look at that through, through so many different lenses. And like, we, we keep talking about this movie feels more, more relevant as, now. The, the, 
the the idea of this being a commentary on Reaganomics, and we're going to get to that and stuff. But it's just characters like that. It's like, man, yeah, you know what these guys are? These guys are QAnon supporters. Yeah. And and it's like, yeah, everything's a joke, but also somebody in a position of power, even though the military is completely dis, you know, gone, it's dissolved. Somebody in a position of power has told them to think this way, so that's what they do. Mm-hmm. They were the ones who really stood out to me this time. And it was just, it was amazing. Like earlier I said, I didn't do a 180 on this movie, but I did an absolute 180 on Rickles and Steel because they became characters that were just they were just incredible at what they were what they were supposed to do. The other one for me is Dr. Frankenstein, right? On the complete other He's side great. of the, the complete other side of the spectrum. This guy who see, you know, there's there there's science. Science, science, you know, science will will rule the day. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who thinks that he can break down everything in the world to a couple of electronic pulses that the brain is sending. And and dude never gets flustered. Not I mean, not until, you know, like right before he dies. Um, he's he's <laughs> yeah. you know, he's right there. He the way the tone that he speaks to Bub, the and and the one oh my god, one of my favorite moments is they've got the one zombie, it's not Bub. I can I guess I guess he doesn't have a name, but he's like chained up and uh, and he flips I the know lights what scene off. you're talking about. He flip, yeah. And he's like, he's like, now you sit here and you think about what you've done, and like flips the lights off on him. <laughs> and he just and like the like the zombie seriously has a like what the fuck? Uh, he has a reaction. Yeah, yeah, like there's a reaction. Like, no, wait, don't it's like, did you just put me in time? Yeah, out? yeah like <laughs> but it's it's like he's got that like real soothing dad voice, like that I wish mm-hmm. I had. Like once I reach that point, my voice is not soothing, right? Mm-hmm. But he's got like this great soothing dad voice where it's like, yeah, the zombie's like, well, he put me in time out, but maybe I deserved it. You know, I guess uh, I'll, <laughs> you know what? I'm, yeah, I'm gonna think about it and think about what I did. <laughs> and uh, you're right, he's you're right. He is, he's the only one that can go toe to toe with Rhodes. Yeah. For and the and uh, opposite reason, which is amazing. for the total opposite reason, and and Sarah says this. No, not Sarah. Um, uh, Doctor Shit, what's his name? Uh, John Amplis's character, uh, Doctor Doctor Fisher. Doctor Fisher. Fisher. Yeah, he says, uh, you know, that Frankenstein is safe because he can talk circles around around roads right and, and and you see that you know i love the scene where he sits down and he says excuse me and everyone you says excuse me <laughs> will there be food <laughs> yeah it's, it's like this and and he's like what are you talking about food he's like because we need to eat you know it's he has such such a a logical reason for everything even in the midst of this totally illogical world that they're living in even with this illogical research that he's doing you know uh it's it's kind of crazy but but he sells it he's so damn good and and richard liberty the actor who played uh dr frankenstein he was have you ever seen the original crazies no, I've only seen the Crazies remake. I have not seen the original Crazies. So uh, the original Crazies, which is uh, a George Romero film, right? Uh, he he plays a father whose daughter is infected with uh, with this virus, and he has a an equally as subtle and paternal role in that movie. It's something he's really good at, but he plays it entirely differently. He's he's a he's a ridiculously good actor. 
with a very short filmography. Like, because I was trying to yeah. figure out, I felt I felt like his voice or something was familiar, but I went and looked, and there was nothing really on his filmography that I recognized. I mean, like I recognized, you know, Porky's too, but I don't remember who he was yeah. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was there was, and maybe it's just because of that that calming paternal feel that he has. It just he felt familiar. Yeah. <laughs> um actually 1985 was his most prolific year. Um The Mean Season, Day of the Dead and Miami Super Cops. Right, none of which I've seen except for Day of the Dead. So Except for Day of the Dead, yeah, but uh The Crazies, uh Porky's 2. Porky's 2 is a solid follow-up to the original. You know, um, it, when you're when you're looking at when you're looking at like teen sex romp comedies, yeah, Porky's 2 is a is a good sequel. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> Uh, he was also in Flight of the Navigator. Apparently, I haven't seen that in a minute, so I gotta, Dude, I gotta rewatch that. I'm 38. I'm pretty sure I was five or six the last time I saw Flight of the Navigator. Like, I could, I could, I could go for a rewatch on that one. That sounds about right. It's, it's been quite, <laughs> it's been quite a minute for. And I, I remember watching it a lot when I was a kid. I had the VHS tape. I still have it in a box right here next to me. Um, <laughs> uh, I've never gone back into that box. I don't own a VCR. um before i get to my comments uh uh, mr kowalski says Lori cardilli who plays sarah is actually the real life daughter of the news reporter from night of the living dead and i think the best actor in the movie i did not know that that is really interesting um i have a different opinion on who the best actor is although i would agree that she is up there she's my second favorite right. in the movie uh and he says dr fisher is played by the same actor who did blackface during the police raid in dawn of the dead did not know that i did know that um there was an actor in blackface yes i, um, I knew that but i didn't know it was the same guy yeah but did not know it was him uh he also is in another george romero movie romero worked with a lot of the same people um uh, throughout his career uh, one called Martin, which is the only vampire movie that he did. And interesting. It's, it is really interesting because you never quite know whether Martin, played by John Amplis, is actually a vampire. I, I do know that movie. I do know it's, that movie. There yeah, we go. it's uh, it's kind think of about similar the to, uh, to Renfield. Yes. Where like it could be that he believes he's a vampire because he's um, you know, killing people and, and taking their blood and drinking their blood. Uh, or is he just a fucking lunatic? So it's it's a it's a pretty good movie. I haven't seen it in in about ten or fifteen years. Uh, I had the DVD and lent it to someone, and I don't know where it is now. Um, I wonder if it's. I wonder if the price is shot up on eBay. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I should try to replace that. Um, my favorite character, uh, far and away, is John. Yeah, John for me um represents everything that i hold dear to my heart uh it's this this sense of self-preservation and in the face of making a decision will make the right decision but he's gonna try to hold off on that as long as yeah (laughs) i mean he's, he's Um, he's a separatist He's a separate, yeah, and ultimately, it's just you know, he's he's going to look out for himself, and and that's something that I understand because at the end of the day, 
I'll do whatever I need to do to survive. Yeah. And if that means um, siding with these military guys so that I can live, I mean, at, at least I'm alive. You know, why did he sign up for this if he doesn't believe in it? You know, he there's that that great scene at the Ritz, you know, in, in the, the backyard of the Ritz where they've got uh, he talks about all of these these records that they have, the census and and all, all of uh, these you know books on economy. And, and he goes, and, and, and it doesn't mean anything. And I get the sense that he never truly cared about this stuff in the first place. Right. Um, so what exactly it is that he's holding on for i think is never really clear and that's part of what makes his character so interesting him and billy what are they holding on to and i think that what they're holding on to is life itself they're living for living's sake and that's that's a beautiful thing where we understand that it is so precious to be alive that to give in would um, would be a tragedy. That we continue to fight because life is beautiful, right? And 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 we we see that there's there's no hatred in him towards the soldiers. And if there is, he controls it really well. He seems to have a um, a respect for all people whether it's captain Rhodes or it's sarah he has this sense of you matter because you are alive he will go to whatever lengths he has to go to to keep sarah and billy alive at the end right right uh and and we see that moment where he uh he knocks out Rhodes, he takes his revolvers and he's about to shoot him in the face and there's that realization in his eyes, I won't turn into you. I refuse to take your life. Because even if I am leaving you here and sentencing you to death by doing that, I'm giving you a fighting chance. It's kind of that, um, reminds me of that line in Batman Begins. Um, I am not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you. Right. Sort of thing. And that I think is so realistic. Oftentimes in movies, we get this like fairy tale thing where the hero is perfect and John is not perfect. Right. But John is human. And, and I think that his portrayal is so realistic. It's so damn good. Just like Billy, Billy gives us this in, incredibly honest thing you know like even if what you have to live for is alcohol right you have something to live for you know because that one drink is going to taste good and so yeah. keep living for the whiskey keep living for the smoke keep living for whatever it is but if it keeps you alive that's a good thing yeah so i've got a question uh, about john for you um just about john kind of leading into this i meant to bring it up when we were discussing story and that is the end of this movie Mm -hmm. um, so when you're looking an idea and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that this is nothing new. Uh, it's just an idea that I had last night. Do you think that at the end of that movie, they're actually on an Island 
Or do you think that when she opened that helicopter door, she was killed? And what we're presented with at the end of that movie is like her afterlife. Because that cut is instantaneous. It is. Um, She's attacked. And then all of a sudden she wakes up on a beach and it's idyllic. It's, it's, it's picturesque. And John's out there fishing, just love it. Just living his life. Exactly what he said he would do. You know, I'll just, I'll just soak up some sun and, and live what I've got left. And it happens the, ex- a split second after she's attacked in the helicopter. So is your belief that she got the zombie out and that they actually flew off and did this, or are we presented with a, an afterlife image of what Sarah has? I think that part of what makes this movie so interesting is that it is so nihilistic, it is so dark, but I think it does have a rather uh, optimistic ending. Right. I do think that I don't think that she opened up that helicopter door and saw zombies in there at all. I think that what really happened is they got into that helicopter. And left. Right. And um, if you talked about that jump scare at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. That cut is immediate. Yes. And she, she like, it's jarring the way that she wakes up and she's like, and she just, you know, kind of gasps for, for, for breath. We see the same thing happen later on in the movie when she's there with Miguel mm-hmm. in, in her, um, in her room. And I think that that's what happens there as well. She wakes up on the beach and it was a dream. The fact that she got to the helicopter and didn't survive. Okay. Right? In the same way that she went to her calendar and didn't survive. Right. Um, and then she wakes up and there she is surviving. Okay. Right. Um, and so I, I do think that this has a somewhat optimistic ending. Um I think that John kind of predicts what's going to happen where he and Billy and Sarah go off, find some, you know, uh, paradise and tropical paradise. And they just start repopulating the earth, which was, you know, the plan at the end of Dawn. Right. Yeah. And, um, uh, is it Gail? She has, uh, she's with child. At right. the end of the movie, you know, so it it, it is kind of, uh, you know, taking that a step further and saying, you know, ah, look, you know, we, we do make it. We do have a chance, um, you know, it, whether or not two men and one woman is enough to restart all of humanity. <laughs> I don't think so. You know, her poor vagina. But um, <laughs> plus, you you can only get like two generations in before the whole thing is super fucked. Right. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, like, yeah, like there, there's two of them. Like, since there's two fathers, like, you know, at least the kids would only share like 50% of their DNA. So I'm going to give you two generations before it's all just one cesspool of DNA. <laughs> so, I mean, real, re- realistically, there's, there's got to be other pockets of survivors out right. there. Um, and we do see that in Land of, of the Dead, 
where where there there are survivors and there is a semblance of society that has uh, that has been rebuilt. But, um, you know, and, and how effective it is, we don't know, right. because it, it, it doesn't really turn out so well for um, for them. Uh, Kowalski says uh, her X off the days on the calendar while on calendar makes me think it's what's left of her is reminding herself how much time that little part of brain has still left. So she goes full zombie. That's an interesting okay. take on that. Okay. Hmm. I, can, I never I considered it that way. It, yeah. But yeah, I can I can get on board with that. So so as we sit here and we, we we're, we're we've now crossed from talking about st- uh, story to characters into just ideas that we have about the movie. And like we've mentioned a couple of times throughout this, you can't have a Romero movie without looking at the idea of scathing commentary, social, political, economic. You know, there's, there. I'm sure there are probably people who have actually received their master's thesis on breaking down the consumerism uh, presented within Dawn of the Dead, yeah. right? Like these, these are things, the, the, the aggressive take on on violent racism presented in Night of the Living Dead. These are all things that even apparently George A. Romero doesn't necessarily <laughs> say he wrote in. These are all just givens when people mm-hmm. are talking about these movies. So when you look at the commentary that we are given here in Dawn of the Dead, and we've, we've kind of hit all around it, how do how do those punches land and how relevant do they feel in 2022 so as as an 80s baby but a 90s child um my knowledge of the 80s is mostly secondhand i have i have very few firsthand memories of the 80s right um and you're only a few years older than i am but i assume it's pretty much that way for you as well pretty much the same like i sometimes sometimes i, I kind of lean back on some of my earliest memories based on like being in school like i kind of remember first grades so that would have been like late 89 mm-hmm. like i feel like those are some of the earliest things i remember so yeah most of my memories too are 90s yeah like i i, I remember being really excited about batman in yeah 89 um you know and i would have been you know a, a, almost three years old at that point. So I was really young. You know, I remember the first time I played Super Mario Brothers, um, which was coincidentally the same night I saw Batman. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you very much to to my cousins to, you know, for giving me a great night that night. Um, I, what I know about Reagan's presidency, um, subsequently leading to the, uh, the upping of our military presence all over the world, uh, you know, the, the upping of our military budget, um, destabilizing governments in yes. South America and Central America, um, you know, our military presence around the world was significantly higher than it had been before. Even considering the fact that we had basically had a military presence somewhere in the world since 1942. Right. Because almost as soon as World War II ends, we get into Korea. And almost as soon as Korea ends, we're in Nam. You know, so um, 
we have this increased awareness of our military. We have this swing to the right of the political spectrum after uh, President Carter uh, and, and his presidency. And I think a lot of people were afraid of the ramifications of that. Um, I grew up in a, uh, in a city, Miami is, uh, uh, I, I think a, uh, and, and the community, uh, the community of Cubans down here in particular tend to be, um, you know, uh, pro Republican, uh, pro conservatism and particularly pro Reagan. Uh, they talk about Reagan as a God. Almost. Right. Um, and, uh, and he is, you know, indeed, you know, looked upon as the father of, you know, modern Republicanism. Um, it, it wasn't until I got a little older and started reading about Reagan for myself where I was like, you know what? I'm not sure I like this guy. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and so I, I can totally understand the fear that a lot of people would have had about the direction that our country was headed in at that time. And the uh, the 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 extreme conservatism that was going on there, which we would not see again until 2015 when Trump is running for president. And uh, and uh, there's a, a large portion of Americans very upset with, uh, you know, this sort of like string of liberalism that that had been going on in the United States. So I think that. All of this commentary on like this is what it would be like if we allowed the military to continue to grow, what it would be like if we were under the thumb of this authoritarian leader where more and more of our rights are taken away and the purpose that we serve is um, at their whim. Right. Is is one that is just as relevant today as it was then. Um, you know, you you think about the fact that a year and a half ago, a, a, a militia stormed our our Congress and tried to stop the certification of a presidential vote. You know, like that's that's the kind of thing that this uh, that. In any direction, alt-right, alt-left, you name it, when there's an extreme and there's no discussion between these two people, you get that sense that shit's going to go down. We're seeing it right now in Ukraine when you have a leader that's so hell-bent on um, doing it his way. It's his way or the highway. It doesn't matter what you want to do because... I'm looking out for me. Right. Um, is there anything positive in what Putin is thinking? Is there anything in his mind that he is, in fact, um, protecting him himself? I don't know. Maybe he does feel like NATO has been, you know, pushing in on him and threatening him and his people. And in his mind, maybe he is that you know, a uh, just leader who's standing up for his people. Right. But if I'm a Ukrainian, I'm not looking at it that way. 
and and ultimately i think that's that's what we see here in this movie is this commentary of like you know yeah Rhodes might see himself as the savior of his people and he's standing up for his people but you can try to have a conversation with this guy and it's not going to work because you got to be willing to sit down and listen and he's not willing to sit down and listen right so I agree with everything you said, and I'm going to take it to um, a, a slight, I'm going to take what you said and kind of go in a different direction with it. So bear with me here. I'm about to put on my, my teacher hat for a minute because mm-hmm. I fell deep into kind of an idea that was, that I had blossoming as I watched this. So in, um, if you go, like I said, bear with me, teacher hat here in 1939, Uh, A sociologist named uh, Norbert Elias wrote a book called The Civilizing Process. And what came out of this was uh, Elias argued that Western culture developed out of people's increased emotional control, a greater restraint of their spontaneous feeling. So this this idea of self-repression created what we now call civility. And civility became synonymous with the idea of a society and a culture that could function. And we came, we came up with this idea of a civilized society. What we get in this movie is when society reaches a point where that self-repression no longer holds any water, therefore civility completely and totally breaks down. When you reach a point in society where suppressing your basest instincts becomes derogatory towards your your probability of survival, then that is when civilized society breaks down. And what we get in this movie are a bunch of characters who no longer find any need for breaking for for suppressing and repressing themselves anymore because they their lives could genuinely be in danger if they are if they don't in, in their minds if they don't enact their basics basis instincts to the fullest because they've reached a point where that is the only method of self-preservation that they have and so what we get is a society that's completely broken down. There is no civility left. What's And so what we get out of that are tribes. We end up with three tribes in this movie, the scientists, the military, the separatists, all trying to survive in their own way. The military, like I said earlier, rank file order will save the day. The scientists, there's... There is there is a method to all of this. We can break it down. We will figure it out. We will survive. And the separatists are, I'm just going to keep me alive. It becomes very tribal. Now, when we look at how that reflects on now, how that lesson works now to this day, I get that, like I said, I'm only in my late 30s. So I've got a decent amount of life experience. I've got a very small amount of life experience that matters in the grand scheme of things, right? Like, let's just say mm-hmm. since I was 25 and I've actually paid attention to these things. So 13 years. <laughs> but <laughs> in, in that time, like you said, starting in 2015, this idea of me versus you 
has become such a flashpoint in American politics. And there, there is no, there, there is no other way. We've, we've reached this point where in now I'm no longer talking about the movie, just by the way, now I'm talking about American society. We've reached a point where civility is almost non-existent on the highest levels of government because it's no longer about suppressing things that, that are only important to you in terms of the greater good. We've reached a point where now you are just looking at everything through this one monochromatic lens and it's black or it's white. And it's that's what this movie gave us almost third, almost 40 years ago. This is 1985, right? So 37 years ago. That was what this movie presented, and now that is what politics has become. That punch landed so fucking hard. Everything is so tribal now. Like, it doesn't even, like, and and I'm not even talking about the general public. I'm talking about actual politicians that are in these positions of power that only care about maintaining that power, not actually getting anything done and being civil with people who might be different. They've got to appease the people underneath them that voted for them that are tribal and put them into this position of power. So there is no civility left to keep this super modern. If you have watched anything about the uh, the Supreme Court hearings that are going on right now where they're trying to where, where they're trying to figure out if they're going to let this new judge in. It's it's just grandstanding at its finest. She has done less talking than anyone because all of them are doing nothing but grandstanding because there is no civility to it. There is no you talk, I talk. Let's figure out whether or not we're going to make this work. It's I'm talking right now. So you're going to listen because this is my opportunity to make my point. And that's what this movie did. I think that that is what took this so far beyond what I saw in it all those years ago, because the, the idea of, and granted it took zombies for it to happen here. All it really took for us was one maybe billionaire dickhead running and getting elected president, right? Like it took one guy put into not just a position of power, but arguably the most powerful position in the world to convince everybody that this is okay. Mm-hmm. And we, so many people, have broken down into this tribal idea. I, yes, I am wearing an anti-flag shirt. And I have a lot of very extreme, I have a lot of very extreme political, you know, ideals. But I'm very civil about it. And I will sit down and I will talk with somebody. And as long as you are presenting your ideas in a way that I, that, that I don't feel attacked, I will do the same for you. This movie presented an... an, an area where that couldn't happen and society and politics as a whole has become that now it's just amazing to me it feels it it feels it feels like it was it was uh it was like a portent of the future right it was like he could tap into something that we saw happening in the 80s but didn't realize how extreme that shit was gonna get the 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 raging against reaganomics um, like you said, my, my, my memories of the eighties, not that great, but my, my in-depth love of punk rock that so much of it came from <laughs> raging against Reaganomics has, has led me to research a lot of that. And yes, there, there was a lot of it there, but it wasn't to the extremes that it is now in 
punk was a bunch of 20 year old nihilists raging against these things. Now it's the entire world just raging against each other. And yes, I'm guilty of it at times too, but not to the extreme that this movie presented of, of civility breaking down, Mm -hmm. but that's what's happened. And that punch, that social commentary, even if it's like you said, even if it's not what Romero intended, that, commentary doesn't just land now it lands i can only imagine it lands ever harder than it could have in the 80s when it was just struggling against this neo-fascist military ideal because now we're living that we're living this neo-fascist military ideal where yes regular citizens in bulletproof vests with zip ties on their belts are storming federal buildings like we're we're actually living that now and so it just i like when it was all said and done that's where i walked away from this movie and i was like god damn like even there 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 were a bunch of little faults about this and i'm going to forgive damn near everyone because that moment that this watching this now that commentary hit me harder than the consumerism, than the racism, than all of those other things that were glaring commentary in other Romero movies. That hits so hard now that I was flabbergasted. I was rewinding and listening to, to dialogue over and over again and going, 85, 2017, these, these same conversations are happening. And it was amazing. So and it, it's my commentary rant. It's it's all um, and, and a good one Thank it was. <laughs> um, it 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 all goes back to the fact that I think he took a, a different approach when he was writing this. Um, there's more subtlety to this than there was in Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead is very over the top. Dawn of the Dead is very clear in its lambasting right of, just that, that music just constantly droning yeah. in the background like you know and, and by, by the way it makes a return yes i don't know if you noticed that oh i did yes yeah and, and you know so there's some of that connective tissue that goes back to to dawn of the dead but um you know there is a subtlety here to the writing which uh and the dialogue which makes this movie beg for rewatching. Yeah. Um and yeah. and the more you watch it the the more you pick up on it. I think you you hit the nail on the head uh in in every possible way here. Um you know and and we we could keep going. Yes, we could. Um, but yeah, we, but we're but we're going to lighten it up a little bit now because yeah. you're right. That's we 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 do like to, we do like to get in deep on these things, but before this just becomes a political lambasting of all things that aren't land uh, Day of the Dead, we're 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 gonna move forward and let's lighten it up. Let's let's talk about argue from 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 what is the heaviest part of the movie to what is arguably not even arguably. Let's just face it to what is the most fun part of the movie, oh, and that is and that is the special effects. This is not only Tom Savini pushing practical effects to the brink, but also Greg Nicotero. Those are two names that now people know. Horror movie fans know the names Tom Savini and Greg Nicotero. And it's the two of them working together to bring us brutally gory scenes that are unmatched in this series. I mean, what? Land of the Dead came out in like 2005, 2006. So 20 years separated. And this is still the goriest 
most special effects laden one that we've got, especially practical effects. Mm-hmm. So just what what do you love, man? How does it hold up? What was good? I um is I may end up eating my words one day because I'll end up watching some movie that actually uh, makes me rethink this. But at this point on March 23rd, 2022 at 10:21 in the PM, I believe that this is the best that special effects have ever done. Practical effects in yes. any movie enter ever. I don't think that there is better makeup effects. I don't think that there are better um, kill effects, gore effects. What was accomplished in this movie is the very pinnacle of practical special effects. Absolutely. You wonder how this happened because it looks like a fucking snuff film. Yes. It, and, and that's part of what makes this movie kind of a difficult watch because the the first movie is surprisingly light on the gore. It's one of those movies uh, very similar to the original Halloween and the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. People remember it being very gory and it's not. Right. Um, it's uh, it's a lot of what's suggested that's there. The The second movie, Dawn of the Dead, does up the gore factor but it's almost comic booky in the mm-hmm. way things are done. And that's that's for it's a stylistic thing. That's what he was going for. This movie's very different. The violence is so real. It's so brutal. Um, the only movie that comes close to this is a Craig Zoller movie um, called Brawl in Cell Block 99. Oh, we talked uh, about that one last week. Uh, did we? Okay, yeah, yeah. And, um, and and also Bone Tomahawk. Those those are the only two movies that I maybe, can think of. Maybe it was after the show we were talking about it. But yeah, I do remember both um, of those being referenced. We were talking about Kurt Russell. Yeah. Right? So we talked about Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. Uh, those are the only two movies I can think of where the, the brutality of of the, the violence and the practical special effects come close to this. And... I, I think that Savini, who was already a uh, a master in his in his craft, uh, I mean, with Dawn of the Dead, you've already cemented yourself as as one of the horror masters. Uh, but then you come in and you do Friday the Thirteenth, you do the Prowler, you do Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, which ups the gore factor significantly. Damn. Uh, yeah, you just saw this. I just I right? just watched ten of them in the yeah. past week and a half. I have watched ten Friday yeah. the Thirteenth movies. Yeah. Hey, where's the corkscrew? <laughs> yes. Um, I every time I watch this movie, uh, like I I love the dialogue. Uh, I love the acting more and more every time, despite what people say about this being overacting. And yet what I look forward to is those last 15 minutes of the movie when all hell is breaking the feeding frenzy, man. It's a feeding frenzy at the end. It it is. It's I I mean, it's and yet for some reason to me, it never seems like um, 
like 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 torture porn. It's not like uh, it's not like hostile. Right. It's 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 not. It doesn't make me shy away. I right. want I want to watch it because what's being I, I I still even though I've watched documentaries about this thing and I know how they did it because they've they've documented it they've they've talked about it. I still wonder how the fuck does it happen? How does it look that good, dude? Okay, like before the feeding frenzy, the one the 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 one that I I, I can't let me not even say the one that stands out the most because they're also good. But the, but before the feeding frenzy, the one that that was just that I keep thinking back on is when they're in this they're in the lab, mm-hmm. and and there's the the one zombie that that sits up. And, and it all kind his of, and it le- and it kind yeah. of rolls to the side and just everything slides out just just viscera and uh, like a stomach and just everything just slides out and just plops down on the floor and then Frankenstein just kind of you know absentmindedly just drills the dude yeah. in the head and he goes down like that that juxtaposition of this is horribly disgusting and gory and oh man here's how I deal with him another day in the life like yeah. that. That was so good. But yes, just watching all that stuff fall out out of what was obviously an actor part of it, at least, you know, like set up that it was, it was just incredible. There's, um, I mean, you don't even have to go to the, the big effects like that. There's little things too that stand out. The scene where Bub is shaving. Yeah. There's like tiny little slivers of skin that come off of him and i'm like how the fuck are you doing this yeah like how 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 was that not cutting his own skin how is he not flaying himself and then to go back to the amazing uh sherman howard you know the the way it was it would have been very easy to go over the top with bub and and um and he played it so perfectly the most to, understated per- character in the movie was the zombie. Yeah, the, the <laughs> most memorable character yes. in the movie is the zombie. You know, that's that's amazing and that you can imbue emotions in a zombie is crazy. Uh, but it, that's that's another example of like the the masterful quality of these effects. That something as simple as a zombie shaving is like. Right. But how the fuck did they do it? You know, and then and to me, if I had to pick one, it's really difficult between um, Rickles and the the soldier that gets it just before him. But I'd probably go with that guy because the way that he's decapitated and you see all of like the tendons and the ligaments stretching and snapping. Right. And then his the pitch of his voice goes up. Yes. As as his voice box stretches. Right. It's almost like when you tune a guitar, that string as it gets tighter and tighter and tighter, the you know, the pitch goes up. That's exactly what happens there because I have to imagine that if you did stretch someone's voice box out, that is the sound that it would make. And it is disturbing and I can't look away it's like a fucking train wreck you know it's and every time i watch it i wince and smile it's one of those things where it's like i can't believe you pulled this off 
Um, you know, Rickles is a great one, you know, to see his eyelid get ripped off and his fingers bitten off. You know, that it's it, it I can't explain how it looks so real. Like there's a moment where um there, where during that final, I believe it's Rhodes when he gets tackled down and you're, you're watching him go to the ground. And like you said, I can't explain it because it definitely obviously still looks like him, the actor, but then a zombie like hooks him in the eyeballs mm-hmm. and starts like pulling his head. And it's like, when, when did that switch from like a person to a special effect where you could, gouge out their eyes and rip them up by their I think head. That, that was that was Rickles. Oh, okay, that yeah. was Rickles. Yeah. So that mm-hmm. is the one where his voice goes up. But yeah, in that in that it's an almost one, seamless cut. Like there, I mean you watch the fingers sink into his eye sockets mm-hmm. before that happens. And it's just like how, how did this happen? Like I it's that's the thing, right? Like when you see a CGI effect. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, it looks cool. It's a computer, but yeah. it's a computer. I get it. That's how you did it. When you watch a when you watch a, a low budget, when you're watching all those Friday the Thirteenth films, it's like, ah, yeah, I see how they did that. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. I saw I the string. They, yeah, but I, yeah, but I saw the string. I get it. Yeah, there were the special effects in the movie were flawless. Like I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how the transitions were made between person and dummy that you ripped to shreds or where an actor ended and, you know, a, a, a fake body began. It was incredible. And the thing is, it'll never be topped because we have moved into an era of filmmaking where it simply isn't cost effective to do practical effects anymore. Right. Um, and some directors like Craig Zoller, who, who I just mentioned, insist upon the practical effects and the movie's all the better for it. Um, but the fact of the matter is that we're not going to get special effects like this uh, on, on any, you know, measurable scale probably ever again. So I, when, when I say that, you know, on this day at this time, I'm saying that this is the best special effects I've ever seen. It would have to be a movie that came out in the past that I have not seen yet. Right. That tops this. And I can't think of one. I, I, I seriously can't think of one. Um, another special effect that I think is just fantastic is the amputation of Miguel's arm. Yes. It's uh, and it's again, another, subtle scene it's not a big one but uh they reused a uh an effect that they had kind of perfected in dawn of the dead where uh that biker uh was it the biker or the zombie yeah the biker who's tom savini yes who is shetty right Uh, yeah yeah well he i mean he's got the look you know uh he takes his machete and he just whacks this one zombie in the face with it and you watch and you're like, oh, my God, they fucking hit that guy in the face with it. Because you see, <laughs> yes. you see, like, the, the eyes move and the mouth go, like, you know, the mouth starts to sag. It's like, that's a dude there. They, they didn't, like, just slam a machete into a dummy. They yeah. slammed a machete into a guy. And so when you watch how they did this, it's a machete with a cutout. And they actually filmed it in reverse. And then they just played it backwards. So they put the cutout over the guy's face. And then they film it being very aggressively taken away. Oh, so it's a brilliant effect. And that's how they did the amputation of Miguel's arm. 
So they place the machete exactly where it needs to be on his arm. They pump the blood out. And then they very aggressively take it away. And then they cut it oh so perfectly because you you have to see his hand move. Yes. You have to see the fingers move to sell the effect, right? And it's, it's a very subtle movement, but it lets you know that machete is on an arm that is currently attached to a real person. Yeah. And then they cut away to, to I, I don't know if it was John or if it was Billy, someone. And then they cut back and now it's it's the dummy arm. Yeah. And that's and that's the one that she flings away with the machete. And it's it's a it's a brilliant special effect. And when you think about it, I mean, these are simple things, but executed on a, a, a level of perfection that makes you do a second guess. I mean, it makes it makes you do a double take and you're like, did they actually cut some guy's fucking arm off for this? Because <laughs> I don't see his arm again the entire movie. Exactly. Kowalski's chiming in here to say they use pig guts a lot. And for Rhodes' death, they didn't refrigerate the guts properly. So it all smelled extremely rancid. Yeah. Did you know this, Daniel? I did not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so- I knew I knew that they used pig guts because pig guts are, are, are the general analog for, for humans. But I didn't yeah. know they didn't refrigerate it and it all smelled bad. There was some holiday. I want to say it was Thanksgiving. I can't remember exactly which holiday it was. And so the production had a break so that everyone could go back to their families and, you know, do the holiday thing and then come back. Someone had um, either unplugged the refrigerator that they were in or it had lost power, something like that. But they pulled those guts out of the refrigerator and apparently it smelled worse than you could possibly cool. imagine, but it was the only Ooh. guts they had left. And I mean, this was like one of the last things that they were going to shoot. So uh, Joe Pilato being uh, a, you know, a, a professional is like, no, 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 we're going to do this. It was, he, he says <laughs> the worst. The yeah. He, he said it was the worst experience of his career, but, um, he says the reason why he sounds like he's like choking and suffocating to death as he tells them to choke on him is because he really was choking and suffocating. Like he just, he couldn't inhale. Oh my God. <laughs> well, and so, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk. There's, there's a lot of amazing things to be said about the gore effects here, because I agree with you. This, this falls in line with a uh, Jurassic park where it's like somebody mm-hmm. made a deal with the crossroads demon for to reach this level of perfection and special effects like when they did. But one of the other things that really stands out for me about effects design is the amazing like cross section of society that we get represented in the zombies. You know, there's, there's a clown in there. Uh, One, one of my favorites that I did that I noticed this time that I didn't remember from before was there's a ballerina but not only is she a ballerina, but she's like moving like on point. Like when she walks, she's like taking those like Swan Lake style yeah. steps. And I was like, <laughs> I was like that type of shit is so cool and feeds into that idea that is started in Dawn of the Dead, brought on in this, explored mm-hmm. even further in Land of the Dead, which is there are certain parts of us that we, that are just so important to us that they become ingrained. And so, but you just, 
when you just look at the field of zombies, it's not just a bunch of people. It's a bunch of different types of people, yeah. which I thought was was interesting. The, I mean, like I said, just the ones that stood out for me, I was like, there's a clown and a ballerina here. Like, yeah. okay, sure. You know, like, uh, so I, I think that, that those things don't get overshadowed by the gore effects. I think that they're just, they're not made to, they're made to be more subtle, but just yeah. as much fun. My favorite when it was all said and done though, man, was when she cut the zombie's head in half with the shovel. Yes. And then and then you get like that the the top half of the head upside down with the eyes still looking like around. around. Yeah. Loved that. Thought that that was just genius. And and I agree with you, man, because of the fact that where we are with practical effects, we're just never going to get something on this level again. I yeah. it's it's absolutely incredible. Jurassic Park, I think you're right, might be the only one that's on par with this. Uh, but it's it's a very different kind of special effect. They're not kill right. effects. Um, they're creature effects. Yeah, and and that's it's a it's a different territory that that you're working with there. But I think that is the pinnacle of creature special effects there. Right. I don't think it will ever be topped. I mean, uh, and and how they they melded the cgi with the practical is just i mean incredible yeah you know um i do want to mention before we move on to ratings uh something i did not put in our uh show sheet here and i'm I, i'm really sorry That's all right. um the music in this movie is out of fucking hand i absolutely <laughs> love john harrison's score uh, John Harrison is a guy who has worked with George Romero a few times. Uh, his most famous score is probably the one to creep show. Um, mm. He's, he's also a producer on many of his movies. This score is, I'm a big fan of, um, of synth pop, synth rock, uh, synth wave. If it's got the word synth in it, I love it. And this is something that manages to be perfectly eighties yet sound really modern today compared to what some of the synthwave bands today are doing so it's like kind of prescient in in its understanding of um melody and and timelessness right because there's uh when you see the palm trees there is almost like a caribbean flair to the synthesizer right it's it's really interesting what he does with the music here and and i think john harrison doesn't get enough credit for his music i think he's a really effective composer I think that the music, the music on this one was, it was a little hit and miss for me. I did enjoy it for the most part. It was, I, I liked those moments. Like you're talking about, like when you've got the palm trees and, and it changed a mm-hmm. little and, and it changed some there. It was, but whether or not I felt like whether or not I was like enjoying the music in that moment, I can definitively say that it always fit the moment. You know, like it was one of those things where it was where everyone saw it, but, uh, but I get it. <laughs> you know, like like I I understand why they went with that with for the music right here. It wasn't, and and part of that is, and I do know that part of that is that your your love for for synthwave is a lot yeah. deeper than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I I will admit that it was always extremely fitting, and and like I said, and it was. It was also perfect in the fact that it was so fitting, but 
for so much of it, it was such a departure from that, like I said, that Muzak that was always kind yeah. of droning in the background of, of Dawn of the Dead. Um, it was it was something new and it was it was something that made sense in that. The other thing that I really liked about the way that the music was in this movie was the way it this is gonna sound weird because I just watched it on TV, but the way it seemed to fill space made sense in this idea of the whole movie taking place inside caves. It was a mm -hmm. movie, it was a movie that had um physical volume not just like volume hearing it was a movie that that literally seemed to it was music that seemed to fill space it was music that that grew as the as the environment in the movie grew and like that i thought was was fascinating like the music is very different down in those down in like the the cave parts where they're fighting versus when they're in like the the areas where they live because it it had different space to fill and that I think is where synth I think that the, the synth pop synth wave idea of this music was untouchable as a as a directorial and music decision because that's what that music has the ability to do hundred percent yeah so yeah. now we reach that point in the podcast. Well, we're going to rate this bad boy. Now, if you are new to the podcast or if you just need a quick reminder, we do want to let everybody know that we only rate a movie against itself. So we don't use stars because that would rate every movie on the same scale. What we do is we create a unique rating system for each movie. And we had some we had some ideas for this one. We had some, we had some <laughs> we wild did. ideas. Yeah. But what we decided as just one of the most fun ones and one of the most unique ways that's only something that's going to relate to this movie is we're going to rate this out of a possible five Aunt Alice's. So, Dave, when you're looking at Day of the Dead, out of five Aunt Alice's, what do you give it? Um, on a leashes. On a leashes, yes. A leashes, me. yeah. A leashes. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm going for it, man. Uh, this is going to get another six out of five on leashes for me. Um, I think when I did this last time with, uh, with Neri and Jeff, uh, I think I gave it four and a half, maybe five. And as I've gone watching it and appreciating it more, uh, Dawn of the dead has, was previously my favorite in the series. And that's kind of dropped down to number two. Right in recent years and this has risen to to number one and it for all the reasons that we discussed today i mean the social commentary is on point every time i watch this i pick up something else the special effects hold up so so well i mean if someone were to tell me hey give me a zombie movie to watch is there more zombiness in dawn of the dead absolutely but when you get to see the zombie as a monster Man, this movie just blows every other zombie movie out of the water. I think that this is the the very pinnacle of of zombie violence. Turn off Walking Dead. Watch all four of the original uh, Dead series. Uh, I mean, go ahead and watch Diary of the Dead and Survival of the Dead. They're pretty good too. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to go ahead and say that they're as good as you know the the original four but they're they're pretty good you know and uh and they've got that romero flair to them uh -huh. and 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 i think that this this movie is perfect for getting your your zombie action it's perfect for thinking about what what 
is is really going on and how it relates to your life who do you see yourself as in this movie i think that there's there's a lot of that there you know uh it, it invites you to think about yourself and and i think a movie that is uh ultra violent and a movie that is scary genuinely scary uh and so tense and with such great dialogue and drama and still invites you to think where it's not just turning your brain off. You get that opportunity to turn it off at the end, turn it off and just enjoy the, the violence, you know, and some of those shots there's, you know, I would have loved to have seen Romero do like a, a bonafide action movie because some of those, some of those scenes in the, um, uh, in the mine, where where they're like just back to back and fucking ripping zombies in half with machine guns like that was fucking great yes you know i would have loved to have seen like a first blood style action movie you know survival thriller action out of him um i mean this movie is perfect so i I, i'm not gonna go that high with it um Mm And part of that is going to be because as much as I did enjoy this last night and, and as great as it's been doing this, I'm still not ready to replace Don as, as with, yeah. with, I'm still not ready to replace Don with this as, as my favorite <clears throat> of the other Romero zombie movies. Right. So I, I'm not, and you well, are, you are in the majority. Right. Um, yeah. And, and so I, cause I, at the same time, if somebody were to be like, Hey, recommend, I would still recommend Don. It's, it's a little bit easier to get behind. It's a little, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a little bit easier to just digest, especially upon a first viewing. Right. So, but I am, I am going to give it five. I, I'm, I mean, which is, which is still a perfect score. Let's face it. That, that's yeah. absolutely still a perfect score. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to gold star this one yet. Right. I'm going to go, I'm going to go five on Alicia's. Um, because I don't, I don't, I don't have anything bad to say about it. And not only do I have nothing bad to say about it, but I feel like upon rewatch and upon doing this, that I also have the right arguments to shoot down the negative things that people will say about this. Um, I, in my, in my research today, I found out that Roger Ebert could not stand this movie. And so I, when I read through his review, I was like, I I could I could combat a lot of the points that he says are negatives here, which I think is very telling of how good a movie is. And it it's it's what takes it's what takes something from beyond just being I like it to no 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 I I, I genuinely think that you're wrong by thinking that this you know element X is presented poorly. There there there's an argument to be made about overacting, but I also think that the counterpoint to that argument is what we're presented with are basis, basic, basic caricatures of what these people are supposed to be. So they're supposed to be overacted. Everybody's on edge early in the movie. She says, you know, you're, you're exhausted. You're, you're overworked. And he says, everybody's exhausted, you know, and we've all been there where you've been working for, you know, five, six straight days. And it's been one thing after another, and it takes nothing to set you off. And that's just, society functioning and working for five days. That's not an untold amount of time where you've been living with 12 or 13 other people in a bunker while zombies are constantly trying to eat you. So we, it's easy to say they're overacting, but I think it's, I think it's harder 
and more difficult to step back and acknowledge that that's actually possibly a more accurate portrayal of what people mm -hmm. would be like when put in, put, put into this situation. So I just I'm think about how angry people are right now for having to pay more for their gas. Yeah. Think about and that's and, and that's just gassing up your car. I mean, that's not really, you know, a life or death situation. Think about the shit mood I was in when I had to spend three and a half straight weeks locked in the house with my kids and I love them more than my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I was I was just now and, and I was just, I started smoking again like I needed something. <laughs> And so this is being locked in a room. This is being locked in an area with people you don't even like, but mm -hmm. that your survival might depend on them. Yeah. You're going to be on edge, you know? And so I, you know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to gold start, but I am going to go five on leashes because I do think that, and man, I did not think I was going to get anywhere close to this. When I fired this up yesterday, I was like, I'm, Man, I'm ready to watch this, but I'm worried. I'm worried because I know how much Dave I'm, loves this. I'm ready I'm, to tell Dave why Dawn of the Dead is the best in the series. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, I was like, man, I was like, I know Dave loves this one. And it is, it's going to be a rough go when I'm just constantly like, yeah, but Don did this, did that better. But man, no, like it's, like I said, like. They really Dawn, are different movies. I like Don more, but they're very different movies. And when we're yeah. just looking at it against itself, it's an absolute five. Like it's. It's so good. And yeah, like if, if nothing else, three and a half of those five stars go to special effects because Fuck they're yes. just, they're Fuck just yes. so good. So yeah, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let it ride at five. And so, so there you have it sitting at five and a half on a leashes. I'm assuming the other half was eaten by a zombie Makes sense um, to me. is George Romero's 1985 day of the dead. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. We have gone on about half an hour longer than we typically do, uh, which I think is is a testament to how much there is to say about this movie. And we cut ourselves short, I think, in just about every category here. <laughs> I think, we I think could so. keep going on. We we could do a part two where we revisit every single one of these <laughs> topics and not say anything twice. Agreed. It's uh, I mean, there's and and this is true of just about every Romero movie. You take any one of his movies and you could sit here and like you said, you could write a fucking dissertation about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you stuck with us the entire time, I see that somehow we have more viewers now than we did when we started. So thank you so much, uh, especially to uh, to Mr. Kowalski for coming in and uh and interacting with us you too can interact with us if you watch live uh please make sure that you don't just stop here at shiver check out some of the other podcasts that we've got on the geek bro network check out mount Geekmore, which both daniel and i can be found on typically on monday nights uh check out what's up bro which usually records at the same time that we do on wednesday so watch us live and listen to their recording uh check out comedy fitness a dose of ellie seasons a tv podcast kick flicks crimacopia our sister podcast and uh the behemoth Within the podcast network, better let me tell you, yes, where uh, where you can find friend of the show ish on every week. 
Uh, also, uh, make sure if, you, uh, if you're looking for all of those, you can head to shiverpod.com, and that will take you to our section of the Geek Bro website. But then from there, you can get to everything else. Also, something that we do forget to mention, but Dave kind of talked about at the top, we've got merch with our amazing logo. And yes. so if you, if you head to TeePublic, you can do two different things. You can search for Geek Bro, which will take you to an area where you can access all of the Geek Bro Show's logos, and then you can have them put on T-shirts, coffee mugs, pillows. I, I don't know. Maybe they make comforters. They, they've got all sorts of stuff that you can Ooh, get our logo on. I all right, like that. Cool. Yeah. Be cool. Or you can search for Shiver Podcast. That'll only bring you up ours. The most efficient way, though, is to head to TeePublic, look up Geek Bro. He's got the coffee mug. He's got the T-shirt. I've got a T-shirt somewhere. I will say this about T Public: they do run a little bit small. Maybe go up a size. I will say that yeah. as something to keep in mind. T Public does seem to tend to run a little bit small. So if you're going to order some, we'd love to. We'd love to see your pictures of that. So if you do have any Shiver merch, make sure you follow us on all the social medias at ShiverPod. Tag us. We'd love to share it. We'd love to see. We'd love to have the follows. We try to let you know uh, what what's coming up next. We release a schedule at the beginning of each month. Last week, like I said, I would just get drunk at night and tweet about Friday the Thirteenth movies. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, yeah. but we try to have fun with our social media. We're trying to be more interactive. Uh, we're keeping an eye on maybe trying to do another live party. The last one kind of fell through. We got a lot in the works, people. We appreciate all your support. So thank <laughs> you so much. Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fright you very much.